Hello, Defenders and Avengers. Since we ended the last episode talking about uh, Groot and a raccoon, I uh, thought I'd go there. <laughs> Rocket the raccoon? Right. But the Avengers are not are not them. That's that's another part of Marvel's. They made it appearance. That's true. That's true. Uh, but if but if I put them in the wrong universe, like if I had somehow it mixed in a DC, my sixteen year old. Oh, you'd be. Oh, he he'd he, be on. He'd be like, no, yeah. Dad. Like You're it was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, he would, he would definitely let me know. So we're following up with our jury selection piece. Uh, welcome back to, to, to part two of jury selection. Uh, part one, we talked about the pool, jumping in the pool, uh, what it takes basically to make it hey. into a courtroom. Hey, man. What? Hey, who are you? Oh, I'm Andrew Decker. Yeah. And who are you? I'm Andrew Harris. I'm, I'm just so excited about this, I didn't even do introductions. We do, like... Uh, uh, we do like our jury selections. We do, we do, and we are Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Look at me, just just being all excited. Hopefully, I do better because one of the first things I do when I stand up, and sometimes the prosecution's already introduced us, is I introduce myself and a co-counsel if I have one and my client. So I would say I'm Andrew Decker. I'm re- I'm proud. Often I say I'm proud, or I'm humbled, or I'm honored, something to that effect, to represent. And if at all possible, like if they're close enough, and I try to make sure that I'm close enough to him, I touch my client on the shoulder or maybe even stand right behind him and touch him with both hands and say to represent, you know, the John citizen Doe. accused. Yeah. Right. I, right. I, right. I, I use their first name, yeah, you know, just use first their, name. you know, first Personal name and last name. Right. I, you know, I'm honored to represent them uh, in this case. Uh, glad to be here. And then I'll introduce and I'll say, does anybody know me? Um, it's so one of the first things we do in jury selection is is ask, does anyone know anyone in the room? I might even pull out uh, important um, uh, uh, witnesses. Do you know, does anybody know this detective or this person? Well, why? Because that's going to, if I know someone that's going to testify, there's a good chance I'm going to believe them more than I believe anybody else. Right? Right. Um, so I'll ask that. Uh, I've had several several cases where uh, people have known me in the jury pool. Uh, I sat across from uh, uh, an attorney who's in my running group. Again, I, I do run. Uh, this is an attorney in my running group who actually works for Harris Finley Bogle. I won't use his name. Uh, he was in Tarrant County, and he and I were less than five feet apart. He was truly on the front row directly across from me, and he said, "I." and he was another attorney, and he said, I know Mr. Decker, and they said, they were like, well, how do you know him? And he goes, well, we're in a running group together. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, got- it's important to be, I think it's important for defense attorneys to be active in their community uh, because of situations like this. I really like that story. Um, it's somebody that you're going to be able to turn to in jury selection and know you have, like, you know, at least maybe hopefully a friendly face. Um, yeah, or that, he knows me helps. and goes, yeah, yeah. That, guy, that guy's pretty dirty. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I'm with the prosecution on this one. Um, and then, and then uh, in in Parker County on a different case, uh, most recent trial I had in in Parker County, uh, someone in the in the in the panel said, "Well, I know Mr. Decker because he uh, he plays in the band and teaches Sunday school at my church." Um, well, that's that's great. That's great. That makes right? you feel good, right? And, and not only do they know me, but it kind of lets the other people in the room. It's a clue. Andrew's a good guy. Yeah. Or at least hopefully. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. And and like I said, that that's that's really important. And I'm and, and really 
you know, I'm sure your client really appreciated that, you know, and really that's why we're doing this. Right, right. We're doing it for our client. So, so we're, we have a pool in front of us and then we've got to figure out who in that pool would be good uh, for our jury. So I mentioned bull in the last episode, right? And I said, you know, you have to suspend uh, your, your, your reality anytime you watch TV. Um, if you didn't, you would believe that Lucy and uh, her husband, uh, Ricky, Rico? Ricky, Ricky, Ricky uh, right, didn't sleep in the same bed and they managed to have children, right? Uh, probably not true. They probably actually slept in a bed together at least a few times, even if uh, TV said otherwise. So we suspend reality a little bit watching TV. Watching Bull, to give you an example, uh, they 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 always have only about twelve or thirteen people ever in the jury pool, um, and w- as we said, even on a misdemeanor, we're going to have twenty. Uh, but they'll say they'll literally they'll ask someone a question, you know, this hypothetical that has nothing to do with the case, and Bull, the 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 scientist of it, looks at his partner and kind of gives them a yes, and they'll go. Juror number four is acceptable to the defense, and they'll be like, juror number four is now on the jury. Such bull. Ah, but I'm bummed. Well played. So, yeah. so that that's not how it happens, Mr. Harris. It is not. All right. Well, tell it us tell us what really happens, since I feel like I've been like, talking the whole time. It is nothing like you see, um, you know, with the uh, on TV with the Hollywood magic. I mean, that you know, obviously, it's over dramatized, and we do have a at times very dramatic. Uh, job, you know, in trial we can we can really become theatrical um, at times whenever it's called for when it's appropriate. In jury uh, selection, we you know it's really jury deselection because of the process of strikes. Um, we are trying to find the first six or twelve people, six on a misdemeanor, twelve on a felony. All right, so for the rest of the podcast, we're going to assume it's a felony. Felony, just for, good. just for just for convenience sake, but no misdemeanor six. Felony, 12. 12. Um, and w- w- we will tell you how many strikes a misdemeanor gets versus a felony. I mean, but tw- minimum of 12. If a, if, a, if a judge wants a, you know, a, what do they call them? An, al- an, an alternate. alternate. Yeah, I was going to say a spare. Um, an alternate <laughs> juror. <laughs> a spare would be a tire. You keep them in the trunk. <laughs> an alternate bowling, juror actually yeah, gets to sit. It's a bowling score. Um, something. So, obviously, you're not a golfer. Um <laughs> <laughs> So it's actually jury deselection. We're talking about the first 12 people who are not struck for cause, meaning some legal reason, or peremptory, uh, somebody who is struck using one of the party's peremptory strikes. And funny story, a peremptory strike, right? right? I'm I'm confused. Those are big words. Well, okay, peremptory is a big word. I just know I get them, and now I know how many I get, because one time I was in trial in, in this small county, and I was like, wait a second, I just got done trying a misdemeanor case, like not too far, not not too um, soon before this felony case, and I actually had to text you, Andrew, and say, hey man, uh, just a refresher real quick, how many <laughs> peremptory strikes do I get? And uh, and I think we like read the code together real quick, just to just to make sure like, you know, I don't know. It was weird. It was the, one of those things like I had so much on my mind that little detail. There are lo- so there it. are so many things, and it's why it's so important to prepare ahead of time for for trial. 
and and usually I, you know I'm, we've I'm, been trying cases together. I don't think I had a second chair. I think you were unavailable, and I just didn't find anybody else to sit with me. Right, right. And and, and I've tried a few cases by myself. You've tried a few cases by yourself. Yeah. It does happen. We prefer to have a second chair. Often it's someone who is, uh, well, sometimes it's someone who who's really trying to learn the craft. Right. And they look at us and they think we know what we're doing. Yeah, like an <laughs> assistant of some sort or whatever. But wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, or or it truly is someone who we think can truly be beneficial uh, yeah. on a case. Um, yeah. But if yes, I've asked so you to sit second, it's because I think you bring something to the table. So be honored. Beyond sure. my good looks. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, the trials usually that don't go our way where you're sitting with me, I usually just turn punishment over to you and I'll let you, you know, bring out that, that preacher voice. Um, now children of God, you yeah. are, you have an opportunity <laughs> to offer, offer, offer some mercy to this, to this wayward sinner. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, let me I talk about Jesus. I, oh, I, I don't, I don't actually do that, <laughs> but, but I could. Uh, uh and you, and you just, you move into you fall into that or slide into that so smoothly and naturally it's it's just uh it's a gift sir it's a it, gift it's kind of scary so but but so 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 we do get preemptory strikes these are strikes that we can look at the panel and we can say for basically any reason we don't have to explain our reason we don't have to tell anybody we get to make a list of for a misdemeanor three yep. and for a felony ten. six ten Ten. 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 Jeez. See? Yeah, you know, it's... It, it. I will never forget it because of that story. I will never, ever forget it. Yeah, it's because you were sweating it in the moment. That's right. See, those are things I literally look up the day before every yeah. time. Every time. Um, and then... So, 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 but you do. You get ten. Um, and you literally write down the first ten people uh, who are in the list that you don't want on the case. And it could be something, uh, you know, in, in the last episode, I mentioned someone wearing a plaid shirt. It could be you just don't like the way they dressed. It could be, um, it, sure enough, 10 peremptory challenges. Yep. Um, Thank you, Wikipedia. Wikipedia, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, but it could be that they answered a question, again, on the chicken killing case, if someone said I'm a vegan or I'm a member of PETA, I don't want them on my jury. Yeah. Right, and, I, and it's not that I have something against PETA per se; they just aren't going to be good for me, right? Right. If and so, so if they're not struck for any other reason, I'm going to write them down as number one, for the first person I want not on the jury. Right, and um, you know that's usually that's that's why like getting feedback from a jury is highly highly important. We talked last time about this difference between like being a lecturer in front of a jury, just educating them on the law. That is very important, but you don't want to do that the entire jury selection. Although there are some attorneys that, that, that basically just talk the whole time. They do. They do. And I personally, and maybe it works for them because I know some old attorneys who do that, who are successful. More, more mature. They prefer to be called <clears throat> more mature. Exper more, more experienced attorneys? Well- Man, they're I'm old, all right? <laughs> I, I take offense to that. <laughs> well, you're not a lecturer. That's true. I'm not a lecturer. Well, so, yeah. so, and I think personally, for me, that's not a style that I find effective. I try to get as much feedback from a jury as possible, and that can be challenging because people, normal people, 
don't want to talk in front of like you know 75 of their newest best friends in that room yeah i love it when the judge says that so welcome to the 60 people your new your new best friends you're like yeah nobody wants to be your judge you're being funny but but i do get it it's a it's a way to kind of break the ice yeah um getting them to talk also well one you get to find out what they're thinking you get to find out that the guy on the second row is a member of PETA, and you're trying a chicken killing case yeah um you get to find out that the guy on the front row on a DWI works for uh, Andrews Distributing, which, for those of you who don't know, is one of the beer distributing uh, companies, companies yeah. in in this area. Well, that's someone who 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 you're going to ask some questions about. Hey, you know, just because people drink beer doesn't mean they're an alcoholic, or doesn't mean that they were DWI, does it? Because they've got to be like, no, no, <laughs> they're towing the no. company line, right? They've got to tow a company line. But the prosecution is going to strike them. So you want to get everything. At, you want them to, the word is, poison the pool. Right. Right? And recently you busted a panel. I sure did. Because the pool was poisoned, basically. Yeah. So tell us about that. Well, it, it was a, um, it was just a misdemeanor DWI. It's really not that Here we hard. Are. We're talking about DWIs again. Yes. It's not that hard when you have 20 people and you've got to get 20 people in this day and age, disagree about something that uh, uh, on the law, right? Disagree about the law in some way. And really, it was it was kind of uh, the last question. I was going to the jury for punishment, so I asked them if they could abide by the law and assess, you know, consider the minimum on the punishment range for a Class B misdemeanor. Which on a is? DWI, it's three days. Three right? days in the county jail. Three days in a county jail. Three days up to 180 days, ladies and gentlemen. So I asked them if they could consider, if there's any fact pattern they could consider, uh, the minimum, which is three days, uh, if they found somebody guilty. No fine, no probation, just three days. That's the minimum. And there was, I think, 15 out of the 20 that said, no, they could not consider it, and you need six on a misdemeanor. So we busted the panel. Right. Okay, so let's so talk about that. that? Yeah. Right. right. Well, first of all, if there are 20 people, and I only need six, and... I get three peremptory strikes on a misdemeanor. On a misdemeanor, and this does the state also get the same number? That's right. Right, they do. And and we don't get to compare notes, right? Correct. We don't. I don't get to go to the state and go, "Hey, I'm taking off Joe, or are you taking off Susan?" Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a rule or a law that says you can't do that. It's just nobody's going to share and like, "Hey, who are you kicking out?" Usually, you wait until the very end, yeah, after everybody's already turned in their strikes. Right. And maybe discuss it. Maybe it's a surprise when the judge calls out names. Right, right. Um, uh, so so if there's 20 people in the room, in, in your pool, in your jury pool, and we know six have to be there, and each one of you gets three strikes, that's 12. So you got to have at least 12 people remaining after... Your strikes for cause. Challenges for cause, and yours were challenges for cause. Yes, right. So, so now, now we've already jumped to the different tra- different kind of challenges. Right. So you were we had just talked about peremptory strikes. That's that's a strike for any reason. I I think um, you know it can't be really any reason. It has to be a can't be a non protected status, which I think Andrew's going to talk about. Right. We're going to talk about back. Batson in a little bit. And um, but uh, so. That is your, when you turn in on a misdemeanor, you turn in your three peremptory strikes. That's because, like, I didn't really like this person's answer to my questions. They were staring at me the whole time. They weren't interested. Whatever, right? Yeah, they were giving the stink eye to my client the yeah, whole time, right? That's a that's perfectly reasonable reason to strike somebody peremptorily. Their, their, their wife 
works for the sheriff's department that brought my client in on whatever case. Yet they can still be fair. Right. You yeah. know, oh, no, I could be fair. You're like, eh. yeah, right. Yeah. But do you know what fair means, sir? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, so we, we got it. We got that'd be a reason we'd want to strike them. And again, they could be fair. But in my gut and in your gut and probably in my client's gut, they're looking at that person going, nah, I'm not believing that you're going to be fair. Yeah, no way. Um, the This notion of fair is really interesting, too, and, and I'll get to that. I just want to finish this point about challenges for cause. So after Sorry. both sides have done their voir dire portion, um, you generally convene with the judge to go over the challenges for cause. A lot of times, you know, if it's outrageous, if it's like – you know, in my case, where they just could not agree or, uh, to uh, or even consider the minimum uh, on punishment, then um, that's an obvious one. The judge is going to grant it. The state would would likely agree to it. If not, the judge can call them up to clarify their answer. Now, for defense attorneys, once they have uh, once they have indicated a uh, an opinion that's not in line with the law. Um, the, the code says they cannot be rehabilitated in practice, though the state and judges routinely attempt to rehabilitate or to, you know, their reasoning is the question wasn't asked properly and which I think is completely Or, or, or maybe we didn't understand your answer. Yeah. And whenever a judge says I didn't ask a, or state says I didn't ask a question properly, it really, it really ruffles my feathers. Um, but, uh, because I, I know what I'm doing. I love jury selection. This is my favorite part of trial. Um, so once those are considered and, and those individuals are brought in or whatever, if they maintain their answer, they can't abide by the law in some way, then they, that's a legal reason to strike them. So now, after those challenges for cause, now you know who is left to review your peremptory challenges. Right. So, so on, on the strikes for cause, this is actually one of the places where I think having that second chair is probably, this may be the most important reason to have a second chair. Agreed. Yes. Like, like there've actually been a few cases where I couldn't, I didn't have someone to sit second chair the whole time. So I brought in someone just to sit and watch and listen during, uh, jury selection. And it's one of the places where when I'm sitting second chair, this is where I end up, like I may not have said a word minus good afternoon to a jury panel, and then the jury's out of the room, and I'm like, jury number seven. They said early on during the prosecution's piece uh, that they are that they are biased against persons with blah blah blah, right. or um, that they would believe a police officer's testimony over that of a of a typical citizen, or they cannot process they cannot enter in they, they cannot um, uh, agree with the one witness rule. Yeah. You know, and it'll be stuff that nobody, and, and I'll be like, in that, sometimes that's when the judge says, well, we need to call them back in to make sure that's really what they said. One, one, yeah, and one witness rule, which you mentioned, that's for our newer attorneys, that's one that we, you know, in DWIs, you, you really must go over. It's, um, it, it's a, it's a area that is pretty ripe for challenges for cause. And so the state will usually go over that, but if they don't, then you need to figure out what that is, what that means, how it's worded correctly, and review that in your own jury selection. Um, right. Typically in misdemeanors is where we see that. Well, um, or or it's a it, it's a sexual assault or something like that where there's truly only two people in the room. Yeah. Uh, the, the 
the person who says something happened and the person who says nothing happened or is consensual or something to that effect. Or even if I came in and robbed you and, you know, it's just the two of us, right? There's only one witness. Yeah. If it's not, you know, recorded and whatever, and the cops didn't really do much. Um, also, you know, like I've had, I've had second chairs who are, who are telling me in a room full of people, I'm over here focused on, one individual asking them a question. Meanwhile, my second chair is kind of scanning the room, taking notes. And she's like, hey, while you were talking with juror number 15, you know, juror number 42 or somebody even closer, like juror number two, was rolling their eyes and shaking their head no. Right, or nodding their head, yeah. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And that is really great information, depending on the question that you're asking um, and your other, um, you know, responses from that particular person. Right, so it, it, literally, that's uh, the, that job of the second chair becomes really important because the the first chair, the, whoever's doing jur- generally doing jury selection, is generally the first chair. Um, they are busy working a room of of sixty people, sixty plus people, and we cannot pay attention to everyone, no matter how hard we try. Especially yeah. if we if we if we caught ourselves in a conversation with juror number 13 and the other side of the room, something's going on. We can't see. I also, it's also, I tell my, I tell my clients, I'm going to give you a pad of paper. Watch if someone gives you the stink eye, if someone smiles at you, if someone makes you feel uncomfortable, write it down. Tell me why it may not be. It may be only a preemptory. It may be only kind of that gut feeling of this person's not going to be beneficial for us or, uh, you know, the the guy goes. I really like him. He, f- I felt like there was a connection. All right, yeah. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's his it's his case, right? Now, I may I may say, well, he said this, and I didn't like it. You know, let let's talk about it for a minute. But I want my client to be actively engaged in jury selection because they also get to pick up vibes from jurors. My second chair, I want them taking notes. I want them watching the room. I want them. Uh, picking up on did someone say something that would make them challengeable for cause? Uh, all those things become beneficial. Yeah, uh, like I said, it's probably the most important piece generally of a second chair's job is jury selection. Yeah. So Andrew, let me ask would, you. A, would, would, would do you agree or disagree? Oh, absolutely agree. Okay, I, if you can yeah. disagree with me. You, and you know. no, and I um I generally disagree with you except when we're on the podcast. Oh, good. I'm just okay. kidding. So. Um, and, and, so, and a lot of times, too, I'm so tired of talking that when it comes time for the challenges for cause, I'll let my second chair, depending on their experience level, handle those. Like you, I don't feel I don't have an issue just turning that over to you and letting you argue the strikes for cause. Um, usually need to at, at that point, you know, if I've been talking for two hours, I need to let my voice rest. Um, but let me ask you a specific question. Uh, let's say, for instance, that you had a juror that you really liked. You liked their, um, you know, their responses. They were fair. Um, uh, let's also assume that your client is an African-American on trial and that this particular juror is an African-American. Yet they, right. didn't, they didn't make it on to the jury panel. They weren't struck for cause. They said they can be perfectly fair. They didn't have any outlandish answers, and yet they didn't make it on the panel. Okay. So what what's going on here? Well, it could be anything. It could be that sure. that that they obviously kind of leaned towards our side. You know, they 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 said they didn't like the police, um, or uh, that 
that they they really held uh, the burden of proof to be a very high standard, um, yeah. something to that effect, where, where truly the state's going to go, yeah, they may not be good for us, regardless of their race, right? right? That's Those are legitimate reasons to, try, to strike someone. If I'm a prosecutor, I don't want someone who, who, who as a prosecutor, I'm looking and going, man, they're smiling at the defendant. Yeah. Or, or they seem to to agree with the def- with the defense attorney in lots of ways. They they nod their head at him or her. Yeah. Right. So if I'm a prosecutor and I see that, I'm striking that person. So these could all be legitimate reasons. Legitimate non protected reasons for striking somebody from your jury. But what objection as right. defense attorneys should we make then? Well, right. But if it but if there if we notice a pattern. Yeah. Right. If we notice a pattern of uh, that a protected class is being struck, that we're going to raise a Batson challenge. Batson v. Kentucky uh, from 1986 in the Supreme Court uh, ruled that a prosecutor's use of preemptory challenges to dismiss jurors without state a valid cause cannot be used to exclude jurors solely on their race. That's later been extended to include any protected class, so religion, gender, sex, uh, etc., but but the but at your your hypothetical is I have an African American client, an African American sitting on the first row who who right. appears to be fair is struck. I could well, if there are ten African Americans within the, the the reachable zone, so out of uh let's see, so twelve plus ten plus ten out of twenty two, no, thirty two people, um yeah. uh there are ten probably one being struck is not enough to raise a Batson challenge, right? Because one isn't isn't a sign that they're striking just for race. Right. But if they struck... Well, all let's, of them. All of them. If all 10 in the range are all struck, and I've never seen it, thankfully I've never seen this, but if they're all struck, and those are all their preemptory challenges, they haven't challenged anyone for any other reason... I would raise up what's called a Batson challenge. And basically, then the prosecution has to be able to list out reasons why they have challenged, they have struck each one of these individuals that is not based on their protected class, on their race. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I gave the hypothetical that it's the, you know, this particular juror or maybe jurors are the same race as the defendant. Um, I, I don't even think that that matters. It doesn't matter. That's not, it, it, it's the facts in Batson. It was an African-American client, uh, James Batson. Uh, and, and the jury ended up being all white jurors in part because the few African-Americans were, were cut by preemptory challenges. So, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the same race as the as the uh, the, def- the the client the defendant, um, it could be uh, you know in, in well for example in a sexual assault usually yeah. we have a male client and a female victim or uh, injured party however you want to put it trying to sure um, well if they strike all the women right for some reason they don't think women are going to work that's not our client. It, sure. It, it it would probably be against against what I would do as a prosecutor if I were prosecuting the case. But if they said for some reason we don't want any women on this case, 
Um, yeah, I guess with the notion that like women are are tougher on on women, right. is that it, what we're? Th- it, yeah, and, and sometimes and sometimes that's actually used as a reason, you know that. Yeah, uh, but but if they did that, it could still be a Batson challenge, right? Because they've 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 purposely selected only on the 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 sex of the person. Yeah, so so you know, defenders out there, if you think you have an issue like this, uh, I think it's just better to go ahead and raise it. You know, like uh, you just you just object pursuant to Batson v. Kentucky, and then the burden. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the burden shifts to the state to defend their strike. That's correct, right? And then the judge would make a ruling and. You know, w- with with the idea that this may not actually, uh, the judge may not grant it. You, the judge may grant it. I don't know. But if they don't, you've at least not waived that issue on appeal if it doesn't go your way. Ah, the lovely appeal. And again, yeah. again, to to quote to quote one of our one of our uh, brothers at arms, um, who hopefully we have on this on the podcast at some point. Do you want to win this on appeal, or do you want to win, win this, this today? Yeah. Right. Um, I love that. I love that saying. Like, <laughs> you you want to win the trial, you want to win the appeal. <laughs> I don't. Want, I don't want an appeal. I don't want an appeal. But I also, no. also don't want to waive some things that would be obvious and in and, and, and reversible error. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is it is a part of our job. We need to be keeping a clean record because there are appellate attorneys um, out there who who really appreciate that. So right, and it's and it is it is hard to keep a good clean a good clean. Uh, Oh, there's so much that goes into it, like knowing how many strikes you get. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. When to like object, when, how, how to object. to object, how to what? properly raise an objection. Like if you uh, run out of peremptory strikes because uh, because you— Somebody who should have been removed for cause, for cause you correct. have to actually say, Judge, I need an extra peremptory strike Yeah. Um, and because of this reason— and technically, especially in death penalty cases, which you and I don't do, but uh, right. but those become very important. Obviously, the judge basically has to give you a few more. You know, has to give you one because you're like this person should have been removed. The judge then can give you an extra peremptory challenge. Uh, but if you just say, "Well, um, they should remove this person for cause," and you don't use all of your peremptory strikes, right? Yeah, I mean, you, it's like a you've five-step waved it. process. Right, I mean, so there's a lot to it, right? Yeah. So, um, but, but le- le- let's run the hypothetical a different way, right? Okay. Um, I have uh, a juror of any race that's not white, or not a juror, a, a, a client who's not white, and I look out and the whole jury pool is white. Hmm. I've literally had a few jury pools that were all white. Yeah. Well, if my client is African American and the judge is white, just in case you can't tell, I'm white. Oh, we can tell. The prosecutors, <laughs> white, probably. Maybe. They were, in, you know, yeah. uh, often. But that jury pool, thankfully, my, you know, this one didn't actually make, but the jury pool was all white. All white. So what'd you do? Well, Did this happened to you? It, yeah. Well, it, it was an all-white jury pool, and we ended up pleading for other reasons. My client was white at the time, but he also had the flu, so he's sweating profusely. Right. Like, and I said, "Dude, we cannot, we cannot go with with you 
looking like you're. I mean, he he had it sweating. A, yeah, that right. that's, That looks guilty, right? Oh, jeez, uh, yeah. right. I was like, dude, we we need to take this plea, and and it was it was not a bad offer. But right? you can object to the Vanier pool, can't you? Yeah, it's really really hard. Um, you can basically you have to show that somehow the Vanier pool, that jury pool, uh, does not represent a fair representation of the county. Well, there are some counties we work in. Where yeah, it may, it, yeah, it may be a pretty close proximity of the county, right? Uh, and be all white or or uh, very few minorities in that jury pool, um, and so it is something that that is difficult. Uh, and there are some of some of our some of our colleagues at arms who are working on it in in counties where it shouldn't be all white, and still somehow there ends up being a very heavy Anglo white. Uh, jury pool when statistically it shouldn't be ne- it shouldn't be at eighty or ninety percent right white it should be more at fifty to sixty percent white yeah that's interesting um, yeah I've I've had that I've run into that in some of the small rural counties um I have not run into that in the bigger counties that we practice in um yet uh, and i'm and i say yet because i know like with the changes in technology that changes the um type of person that gets called in or that gets chosen on a uh, uh for a, for a vernier panel right right but it, but it is something that's interesting because often as you read these especially older cases they'll note that the defendant and i'm not trying to this is just the facts uh, for example, in Batson, he was African American. He was black. His his attorney was white. The prosecutors were white. The judge was white. The bailiffs were white. All the jurors were white. Who there? It, it starts looking like every, and yeah. it may not be the case, but at least gives an appearance that there could be some impropriety based on race alone. Yeah. And especially when we have cases where uh, an all-white jury and an all-white at- attorney team on both sides, and an all and, and a white judge, and then later you figure out somebody somebody goofed and this guy's not guilty, you go was was it was it a fair trial or was it more like a lynch mob? And that, right. and I hate to be that way. I mean that's that's. Um, I hate that that's part of our, our the history of our justice system. Well, and here here's the thing too, in in a situation like that, you know, on appeal, if that issue has been waived, now what is the very next claim that that an appellate attorney or a pro se defendant on appeal appellant, I should say, is uh, is going to raise? I mean, it's going to be ineffective assistance. I think at that point, I mean, it's a very hard claim, but they're going to be coming after you for not catching that. Right, right. At least not objecting to it. Yeah. Um, uh, but again, you know, I mean, how it, would that it, be strategy? You know. Yeah, yeah. It would be tough. Uh, so, so these are these are some burdens. These are some 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 hurdles that we face really every day, whether we want to or not, um, and we have to be aware of. Uh, you know, is is there is there a representation of of this person's peers? And as we said, it's not like they they get to pick the fi- you know pick people off their street. But is there someone that has in that pool that at least represents them so so socioeconomically, racially, religiously, um, or is it there's no way that we're going to find someone like this 
Uh, yeah, it may not like represent them, but at least the county that they live in. Right. You know, I mean, right. that that um, sometimes that that doesn't always happen. Right. So I hate to be a, hate that, that that's a downer, but okay. So so it's deselection. D selection. Right. Yes. It's not really jury selection. It's your jury D selection. And often you will hear uh, the attorneys or the judge say the best way to end up on the panel, to end up on the jur- in the jury box, is to not say anything. So right? true. Right. The person that sits on the front row, juror number three, that just kind of, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, that's all they say. They're going to be on the jury. That's it, yeah. <laughs> welcome yeah. Well, welcome to seat number one. Um, exactly. Uh, but literally the process of deselection is we first – Go up to the judge after the jury pool has been dismissed for a few minutes. They're told to take a break. The prosecution and the defense approach and say, uh, this person, judge, I don't think spoke good English. We might bring him back in. I mentioned that, I think, in the last episode. Yeah. Um, I had one where the guy there was a guy in the back who... I was like, I don't think he's understanding what I'm saying. Or I don't think he's understanding what the prosecution's saying. So early on, I went, uh, juror number 47, like he's truly in the back, probably not going to get to him. I said, hey, can you understand everything I'm saying? And he literally goes, you're the first person today I've understood. Oh, man. Oh, he was almost deaf. Yeah. Well, that's it. He can't, he, yeah. can't, he can't understand the English language because he can't hear it. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a big one. So, so literally, the the prosecution, even though he would have been outside the strike zone, the prosecution had to say, "Yeah, he can't be on the jury." Especially the prosecution had to say it because they're the ones that he couldn't hear. Yep. <laughs> um, so the strike for cause can sometimes be stuff well beyond. Can you can you yeah. use the full range of punishment? Um, and then there are questions of. Uh, you know, how many of you think that this person is is guilty of this crime just sitting here? Yeah, simply because he is here in front of you. Right. Um, and inevitably, or, and one of the questions that you and I have asked is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to vote guilty right now? Yeah. Now, I've used that, and the judge said, well, that's unless it's a 10, that's not, you know, in my argument, and I need to work on it, need to craft it better. But I think if it's anything over about a 1 or a 0, they've shifted the burden. Yes. Because... I agree. But, but yeah, unfortunately... Yeah, they've made a deter- determination, yeah. Right, right. But, but unfortunately, the judges that I've used it on so far have said, well, that's not a full commitment because they just said they're more likely than not. Well, the only answer is supposed to be, it's a zero. It's yeah. a one. I am not finding him guilty with the, what I know right now. So anything above that. But at least it gives us some some stuff for that preemptory call. But so, so we get rid of the people for cause, take them out. Then we count literally to 12 plus 10 plus 10. So I said, you know, early. Felony, yeah. Right. So I said that 32 because we know everyone who's going to get struck has to be in that range. There's no reason. Let's say three of the people get struck for cause. So 12 goes to 15, and plus, so we're at 35. There's no reason to strike number 47. Yeah, we're not going to use a peremptory on that. Right. That's, that, that's silly. Right. Um, but then we, we make our list. The prosecution makes a, their list. And then we come back, and the first 12 who were not struck for any other reason become the jury. Right? Yep. yep. 
And I then will later circle back to that in my argument, uh, my closing arguments and say, you are the 12 reasonable people, right? And you, how do we know you're the reasonable people? Because the crazy people and the unreasonable people and the unfair people were all struck. So you're the first 12 reasonable people. And if any of you have a doubt, that's a reasonable doubt. Yeah. Hold on to it. Because it doesn't say 12 reasonable doubts. It says any reasonable doubt. Right. And I hammer that home. It's worked sometimes. It hasn't worked others. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think it preaches well. I don't know that it's as convincing as I hope it would be. Uh, but I literally circle back that those people are the first 12 reasonable people. And if they have a doubt, they need to hold on to it and share it with their colleagues. It, like I said, it preaches well. Amen, brother. And I've not yeah. had I've not had anyone object to to it. I, I keep expecting a prosecutor to go objection. That's not the law. Well, it's not not in the law. So I, yeah, you know. It, so so far, I've skated it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I I don't I don't know if that would be objectionable. I mean, I don't think you're really giving a definition of beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. I think that'll be maybe another you know, another episode that we can talk about that. Like what, what does reasonable, what is reasonable doubt? What does that mean? All that kind of stuff. That that is, that is fun. So, so, but that's how, that's how you literally get selected. Deselected. Well, well, the the (laughs) non-reasonable people got deselected. Yeah. Um, uh, And, you know, sure enough, you end up with people on a jury and they then take an oath to uphold the law, uh, to follow the law. Um, to to weigh the facts, to weigh the evidence, and yeah. to to render a verdict, a true verdict. Right, and um, and so why don't we do this? Since we're already running at like forty some odd minutes now. I know I talked way too much. I'm no, sorry. I mean these go. The, there's a lot that goes into just this one phase of trial. Um, but we have a couple other issues that we really want to talk about. Like, what are some what are some okay questions? What what can you get into during jury selection? What do you what do you say about episode number three on jury selection? Yeah, so so we're gonna let you probably take the lead on that because you like these. You know, like what are the real good questions? What are the not legal questions? Um, and then what are some things that you ask every jury panel? Um, uh, so we'll go into yeah. the questions of jury selection next time. Uh, it should be really good. It will be fun. Uh, in the meantime, that's our preview for bum, next bum, time. Bum. In the meantime, don't forget to find us on Google uh, Podcast, on Apple Podcast. Find us on Facebook. Uh, you can also find Andrew Harris and I, Andrew Decker, on Facebook as well. Find our offices. That's right. Um, uh, but you can find Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense on Facebook. Uh, follow us. Put a, put a good review out there. Uh, Tell somebody, tell somebody you like us. Tell somebody you think we're we're kind of groovy. With those you love, share it with those you love. I mean, you know, it, it's it's not a bad it's not a bad gift to share. You know, the more you know, right? With that like shooting star, right? Um, right. In BC. Dun, dun, dun. If you're if you're a resident of the state of Texas, I think we're giving you some really good information just on something that you know you may not think a whole lot about that that really impacts your life. Uh, right. In in all of these episodes. Um, so for Andrew Decker, I'm. Andrew Harris. You've been listening to Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you at the next episode.